Well, let's open our Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to add a couple verses before we jump into the text in chapter 2. So let's look at a little bit of an introduction written by uh, Solomon about 935 B.C., and he's responsible for the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And um, he introduces himself in verse 1 and 12. Uh, the first three verses of chapter 1 uh, sets the tone for the whole book of Ecclesiastes. He said, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So right off the bat, we know we're talking about Solomon. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And then he again said in verse 12, I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I've set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. So this is his task. And he is going to uh, leave no stone unturned in trying to um, discover meaning in this world. The book of Ecclesiastes, really what it is, is an intense search for meaning and satisfaction in life. That's the, the whole bottom line of the book. And so I just picked a portion. We could go anywhere. Uh, but I've decided to look at verses 4 through 11 as this is just one aspect of uh, the things that he uh, applies himself to to see if he can find something other than this emptiness. And so in verse 4, it talks about his building projects. I've made work great. I've built myself houses. I've planted myself vineyards. I've made myself gardens and orchards. I've planted all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself water pools for which to water the, the trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants, and servants that were even born in my own house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold, and the special treasures of kings and the provinces. I acquired male and female singers the delights of the sons of men, musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. But whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. And then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on all the labor which I had toiled. And indeed, it was empty, vanity. It was grasping for the wind. There's no profit under the sun. Now this is just one of his attempts to find fulfillment. And it is intense. And he's looking for some sort of satisfaction. I've entitled the morning's message simply, Satisfied. And he is going to run the gamut from science to wisdom, philosophy, pleasure, materialism, fatalism, egotism, religion, wealth, morality, 
living in our generation, I would add sports <laughs> and the technical things that we preoccupy ourselves with. And um, I, I suppose, you know, in my generation, growing up every year they come up with the, the number one oldie song, and it's usually the same one year after year. It's by the Rolling Stones that sort of explains the book of Ecclesiastes. And it is, I can't get no satisfaction. And he tried, and he tried, and he tried, and he tried. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. He, did, he ran the gamut. It was Blaise Pascal that nails it also. He says, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what you try, no matter what your pursuit is, whatever you identify yourself with, you could reach the top. Um, I remember Chuck Gerard. Uh, actually, Chuck was pretty famous before he got saved. He was part of a group called the Hondells. And uh, him and Brian Wilson from the, the Beach Boys, some of you baby boomers will remember this, wrote Little Honda together. So he actually ran with a, with a lot of people in Hollywood. And he told this story here. And um, I think it sums it up really well. It was in Hollywood. It was one of those cocktail parties where the movie stars were at. And it was actually at Frank Sinatra's house. And uh, uh, Chuck was well known in those days. He lived in Hollywood. And um, he actually saw Frank Sinatra not hard, but just standing against the door doing this. Back and forth, just hitting his head. He's all by himself. And uh, he overheard him say over and over again, is this all there is? Is this all there is? We're talking about Frank Sinatra, you know, the guy that did it his way, right? And um, you'd think, here's a guy who's, who's, uh, you know, he's got everything, what what would he want? And having everything, and that name and that recognition, and that moment of uh, total transparency and truth, says, I can't find it. Is this all there is? And so, turn to chapter 12, and what we're going through, and we'll go through the whole book, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, but in chapter 12, he sort of gets to talking about Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult times come. And of course, again, he's writing to his son, but in verse 11 he says, these are the words of the wise. They're like goads, and the words of the scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. So he's talking about this importance of finding fulfillment really only in the creator, but I was drawn to the shepherd part of it because if the whole book of Ecclesiastes is the search for meaning and satisfaction in life, it certainly wasn't found by Solomon. But he refers to one shepherd and the driving nails before it really makes me think, of course, of the Lord. So I want to take you to the New Testament. Now, by the way, we might set a record this morning for page turning, so you might want to mark them ahead of time. I don't think it's a record, but pretty close. Let's go to John chapter 10, New Testament. Another shepherd. 
And we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Gospel of uh, John has uh, seven I am statements. And that's how John decides he's going to write his book, around seven miracles and seven I am statements. And here he's going to refer to himself as I am the door. But let's pick it up in verse 1. He says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. And Jesus used this illustration, but they didn't understand the things which he spoke to them. And so now he's in explanation mode. And he says in verse 7, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door and uh, of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. So now you can just fill in the gap. Any other way to try to come to God, uh, Jesus said he's the only one, only one door. It's like Noah's ark. If you want to be saved, there was only one door on that ark. And when everybody that was saved was in that, it says the Lord shut the door. And then he goes on, he says, I am. And this is one of the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. If anyone enters by me and be saved, he will go in and out and find pasture. Well, this uh, word pasture uh, this morning, um, we looked it up at home of what that word actually means. I wanted to know the meaning of the word pasture because He's saying, if you come into me, if I open the door and you come in, what's going to happen as you come and go, you're going out, you're going to find pasture. The Greek word for pasture is uh, nome, N-O-M-E in in the Greek. And it literally means um, you shall not want. You'll be content for true life. In other words, in the spiritual life. So anybody who comes now to him, the word pasture, you could replace it quite easily by saying, I'm satisfied. I'm, I'm like, I'm content. Jesus says, come unto me and I'll, I'll give you rest for your souls. I know that you've searched and you looked and you've tried every avenue and nothing has filled it. And now Jesus comes along and says, if you come in by my door, nobody else's. Everybody else is a thief and a robber. He he expands on that in verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But notice this. I have come that they may have life and catch this and they may have it more abundantly. And here is the contrast. We're starting the book of Ecclesiastes. It has one simple point. Fill in the blank. Try whatever you want to but you will come up empty every single time. 
On the other hand, if you enter in by the door, here's the contrast. Jesus said, anybody that comes to me, I'll fill you up. I'll give you life. You'll, be, you'll find pasture. You'll be satisfied. So from an abundant life it would be the opposite that Jesus gives of this vanity of vanities that Solomon begins his study with the book of Ecclesiastes. All right, so here's a question. So how does one come to receive this peace and this satisfaction? I want you to turn just a couple pages to John 14. At this time, it's a promise that hasn't been fulfilled as Jesus is teaching his disciples. But in John 14, picking up in verse um, 15, he says, if you love me, then I want you to keep my commandments. And then what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper. The word there is comforter. And he will abide with you forever, It's even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and this is the part that I want you to catch, and will be in you. That's future tense. And I think that's what happens before a person comes to Christ. There's seed sowers and the Holy Spirit is working and you're getting used as you're witnessing the people. Well, the Holy Spirit is there. Um, convicting you of your sin, showing you your need for Christ. And when a person receives him, then he is in him. But at this time, the Holy Spirit has not yet been given because Jesus explained to the disciples, he says, look, it's expedient, absolutely necessary that I go back to my Father because if I don't go, then I can't send the promise one. And that would have been the Holy Spirit. So when you read it in the future tense, he says he's with you now, but he's going to be living inside of you. So we have the promise of the Holy Spirit, and with the Holy Spirit, there comes gifts that are predetermined by the Holy Spirit. He gives severally as he wants to. Everybody doesn't have the same gifts. Uh, 12, 13, and 14 of uh, Corinthians, matter of fact, let's turn there, let's turn to Uh, chapter 13, the love chapter. But 12, 13, and 14 are the gifts, especially in 12, are mentioned that when the Holy Spirit did come, um, it begins with chapter 12 by saying, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. And it gets into, and I'm not gonna go through them, all except to say, um, verse 11, but one in the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually as he wants to. So I don't have the gift that you have, and you don't, whatever your gift is, that's what's being laid out here in in chapter 12. But then, um, let's look at uh, chapter 12, the very last verse, and he goes through them, and he says, earnestly desire them. In other words, ask the Lord, what, what is my gift that I, can, um, that I have? And then I will show you a more excellent way. So chapter 12, John, Jesus first of all promised, I'm gonna send it. 
I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he's going to give you gifts. And, um, yeah, but with the gifts, there's really something even better that I want to talk to you about. But before I get to that, I want you to look at chapter 14. If chapter 12 is an explanation of what gifts are, and then not, it's not comprehensive, there's more than it's what's in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. But this one verse I do want to draw your attention to in chapter 14. Chapter 14 is primarily how to exercise and use the gifts in a public setting. And uh, so to sum it all up, we read the last verse, let all things be done decently and in order. But let me draw your attention to verse 12 about spiritual gifts and being filled with them. Verse 12 says, even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Let me just say, every gift of the Holy Spirit is meant to flow out of your life into somebody else's life that they would be built up. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? That's what's being said here. One exception. That one exception is verse 4, and that's the gift of tongues. He who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So here we have the promise of these gifts that are given, but the more excellent way um, is a reference to chapter 13. Now this has always been interesting to me. Here we are talking about spiritual gifts. Chapter 12 tells us what they are. Uh, Chapter 14, make sure they're not misused. Everything's done decently and in order. But between that, there's sort of a pause, and he says, I want to talk about one in particular, a more excellent way. And that more excellent way, of course, is love. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. And that's the fruit of it. And it's manifested, this love is manifested by having joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And we have in chapter 13, looking at when all is said and done, the characteristics of love. Remember, we're in Ecclesiastes, which is empty and has nothing. But with the Holy Spirit now indwelling the believer, uh, verse 13 says, there's three things when all is said and done that you now have, and nobody can take it away from you. They can take, people are dying for their faith. Um, and this shooting just recently, the young teenage shooter asked, he wanted to know who the Christians were. And if you're a Christian, stand up. You're going to meet your God real, real shortly. And, but what he can't take away from you is verse 13, now abides faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. People are are looking for love, they really are. I wanna be loved, you wanna be loved. And more importantly, we wanna be able to give love. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life. That's the greatest love. For God so loved the world. God is love. So we have in our study of Ecclesiastes. Instead of um, having nothing, uh, the unsaved is trying to find satisfaction, but the saved person not only has 
satisfaction. He has abundant life, a full life, faith, hope, and love, kindness, and goodness. We're told to make sure we give it away. Let it flow out of you. Turn with me to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 37, is um, one of the great feasts, the great day of the feast. Would have been an eight-day feast. And when it says in verse 37, on the last day, this would have been um, Sukkot. And um, on the eighth day, that would have been the last day, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Instead of empty, what's happening? And well, you're full to overflowing. But, and here he clarifies, John's writing this after receiving the Holy Spirit. Now he's writing the Gospel of John. And in verse 39 he says, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, who those believing in him would receive, future tense, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But the point that I want you to see is that when he does come, he's going to take that which was empty, and you were thirsty, and you've tried and tried and tried, and nothing worked. Nothing filled you up until you met Jesus. I remember looking at Christians before I was Christians, real ones, and I knew they had something. And I I want what they had, because I could see it in them. I could see it. They were like light bulbs. And um, whatever they had... I wanted in on that action because they were happy and they were content and they were at peace. And I knew uh, they had found what they were looking for. Um, Jackson Brown's got a song called Running on Empty. (laughs) Instead of running on empty, Jackson, saying all is vanity and emptiness, you can have a heart that is full to overflowing in other people's lives. I was talking to my friend Paul Clark. He was telling me the, the time that he had a one-on-one with Jackson Brown. And he was going to witness to him. And so he did. He got right, right up and just shared the love of Jesus with him. And I guess Jackson Brown just totally blew him right off. And he's, that's why he's running on empty. And Paul's not. <laughs> Somebody can say amen to that. It's a great, great story. But you can have a heart the scriptures teach that's full to overflowing, not just life, but really abundant life. Um, and it can overflow, and that's the idea that God wants you to use your gifts so that they overflow into other people's lives. Psalm 16, in your presence is fullness of joy. And there's something special that happens whenever the body is together, and you're not just by yourself or... He says, wherever two or three, there's something special that takes place. Wherever two or three are gathered, he says, I'm there. And I'm a part of uh, what's taking place. And then it goes on to say, you can actually have, in this crazy, crazy world that we're living in right now, you can actually have this peace that does pass understanding. The question is, how can I have that peace with God? Why don't you turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 5 this morning. Romans 5. And while you're turning, I'm going to quote Colossians 1. 
Colossians 1 verse 19 says, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. And now all that fullness that's in Christ, he wants to be in you. Verse 20, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Having made peace. In order to have peace with God, it has to be made. So look at uh, chapter five, verse one. It was made by the cross. That's how we made our peace with God. And therefore, because of that, verse one, therefore having been justified by faith, we do now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice. We're happy people in the hope of the glory of God. Now, it's one thing to have made your peace with God and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior because of what he did for you on Calvary. It's one thing to make peace with God, but it's something altogether different to have his peace. And again, just not in my notes this morning, but I think of the storms of life, and I'm often, I often think about these, <laughs> these well-seasoned fishermen that fished on the Sea of Galilee. And the Lord said, we're going to go from here, and we're going to go over there. And, um, you know, he fell asleep. He was tired. And the storm came, and they are freaking out. And Lord, save us. We're going down for the third time. There's no doubt about it. And he got up, and he rebuked the wind, and there was a great calm. And, um, you know, you think he'd say something like, oh, you guys okay now? (laughs) Is everything, you feel better now? He doesn't say that at all. He actually rebukes them. He looks at them and says, where's your faith? Their faith was being tested. Jesus said we're going from point A to point B. There's not a force in the universe that's gonna stop that from happening. So when I say amen to that, it's the word of God. He says this is where we're going. So what are you so freaked out about? And uh, he, he did not comfort them. He reproved them. And so people have fears. What are, you, what, are you, what are you afraid of if the Lord is always with you? Well, you don't understand my situation. No, I don't, but the Lord does. And I know what his word has to say about it. Whatever storm you're in, whatever fear you have, it's all being worked out for good somehow, some way. I don't understand it. That's why we have faith. Um, if you didn't have any problems, I heard the song yesterday, painting on a window. If you never had any problems, how would you ever know that God could solve them? And it's a testing of your faith. How are you going to respond with your fears and, and anxieties? Well, like I said, it's one thing to make peace with God, but it's another thing to have his peace in the middle of the storm. But that's exactly what he promised in John 14. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace. Can you imagine God being stressed out over anything? No. Well, I take that back. He asked something at Gethsemane. And... Uh, 
I don't know if stressed out is the right word, but only Jesus could understand what it meant to have all the sins of all time being placed on him in a moment's time. And he did sweat great drops of blood. And a couple angels appeared to him and comforted him. But nonetheless, you can have the peace of God. But it's really going to, he says, the peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give it to you. So don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now why do you suppose he said that? Because people get afraid. And they lose their peace and they lose their joy. Because they're not standing, really, on God's word. Now, I think this would be a great place to end the study. If I ended a study here, you would only have half the story. Book of Ecclesiastes, all about trying everything and it coming up empty, empty, empty. Vanity, vanity, vanity. And then we have all the good stuff that the Lord promises to give those. Oh, come, come through the door to me. You'll find satisfaction. You'll find pasture. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. It'll overflow. And that's great. Faith, hope, and love. Peace that passes understanding. Peace of God in my life. If I ended the story there, I wouldn't be telling you the whole truth about what the Bible teaches about the Christian life. So from emptiness to fullness, that's all true. The faith, hope, love, and peace, God works all things out together for good, that's all true. But here's what goes along with it. Part two. You're going to be hated. Let me say it again. You are going to be hated. Not because I said so. Jesus says in John 15, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. You see, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world is going to hate you. I see it happening in our country. I see us going from a generation where everything was closed on Sunday, where now there's this animosity. And uh, you can see it on the TV programming, and you can just sort of feel, as the Bible says, the love of many is going to wax cold in the last days. Then there's this whole other thing when you only present half a gospel, and that is spiritual warfare. There's a real devil. He says the enemy comes, Jesus said in John 10, but to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to wipe you out. And uh, unless you're aware that we are in in a fight, then you're already defeated because he wants to take you down, especially if you're using your gifts and they are overflowing into other people's lives. He wants to shut you up. I'm going to say amen. Is that all I get? I want a better one than that. You want me to be David Hawking? I can do it if I have to. Amen? Amen? All right, that's better. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeing if he can take you down. He's looking. He's scoping. Who's vulnerable today? Who can I take out of the race today? And who can I trip up today? And I want to talk about the reality of persecution and trials. And uh, there's no better example in the Bible than the Apostle Paul. So please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
Second Corinthians chapter 11, we would have never known unless Paul, some of them were challenging his apostleship, so he has to do a little boasting. And um, verse 22, he has to, he said, am I, you guys are Hebrews, so am I. Are there Israelites? So am I. I am the seed of Abraham, so am I. That's verse 22. And then he says, are the ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors and more in abundance. He says, you want to talk about the Christian life? Okay, I've done it more than anybody else. Here's what it's like. In stripes, verse 23, above measure. In prison, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned three times. I was shipwrecked a day and a night. I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils with the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, sleepless nights, often hungry and thirsty, in fastings, often cold, naked, And besides all these things, what comes upon me daily, and that is my deep concern for all the church. That's what comes along with the Christian walk. And here's here's the one example. Uh, They were questioning his apostleship. Well, he said, here's my credentials. And it wasn't a Cadillac. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. It was that everywhere he went, he was treated like this. But then, and this blows my mind, Acts chapter 20, he says, but none of these things move me. What? None of these things move me? How many of us would have gotten past the first, the first thing he went through? I wonder. But none of these things move me, neither count my life dear to myself. Why? So that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. That doesn't, these things aren't going to stop me. Some prophet came up to him, tied him up with his belt, and, and said uh, the guy who gets this belt is going to go up to Jerusalem and he's going to get knocked around quite a bit. And it, it, was, they, it was Paul, of course. And Paul says, guys, don't, don't break my heart like this. You, th- you th- think that's going to stop me? He says, I'm ready to give my life for the Lord. So the other side of the coin, yes, it's the rich, full, abundant life, and, and we need to understand that, but with it, uh, you better be pretty thick-skinned because the enemy wants to take you out, and um, then if that's not enough, he's got some sort of demon that's attached to him, not in him. Let's pick it up. We call it Paul's thorn in the flesh. What, what happens in verses one through six is one of these times that Paul says in deaths often, what does he mean by that? Well, he says, 14 years ago, I knew a guy, he's talking about himself. Uh, whether out of the body, I don't know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man. Whether in the body, out of the body, I don't know, God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard 
inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I'm not going to be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I forbear lest anyone would think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. But it really happened. That's what he's saying. I really went to heaven, and I heard things that is unlawful to try to communicate. But because of the revelation that was given to him in verse 7, lest I would be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, that's quite a revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, it says a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Isn't that pretty clear? I mean, it's Paul, so you don't get a big head, here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna allow a messenger of Satan. What does that mean? Answer, I don't know. <laughs> All I know, it was, a, it was a hassling to Paul. People have speculated that it was his eye condition. We don't know. It was a messenger of Satan. It was a thorn in the flesh. And he says, concerning these things, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, I don't like this, get away with it. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, I don't like it, get away from it. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. (laughs) And after the third time, the Lord answers Paul. And he said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's all he had to hear. He just wanted to hear something from God. What's the answer? And the answer is, no, I'm gonna keep you this way because when you're weak, you're really strong. Therefore, most gladly, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Notice this, gang. (laughs) Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. I mean, can you really say that? I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What's his attitude towards this thorn in the flesh? He tells us in Romans, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us This is all the bad stuff that happened. He says, we're not talking apples and apples. The suffering has nothing to do with the glory that's gonna someday be revealed uh, when we're with the Lord in heaven. Well, we're starting the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. The wisest man ever to walk this planet other than the Lord Jesus Christ, he had the means the resources, the wisdom to try anything and everything. And so he does. He tries it all. And when he comes to the end of experimenting with everything, he says, it's all empty. It's all meaningless. And he says, the best I can do is die. (laughs) And then how do I know if I'm going to turn it over to somebody who has any wisdom at all? And actually, that's what happened. It's unreable wasn't wise. He didn't listen to the counsel of the older men. He listened to the counsel of his young men. And basically, he's saying, I I can't find satisfaction 
anything in this life. And then, contrasting that to to the door, Jesus came and invited us to come to him. He says, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'll give you a satisfied soul. I'll give you life. I'll give you life abundantly. Matter of fact, I'll give you so much it's gonna spill out if you allow it to. It'll flow out of you if you allow it to. You will have faith, hope, and love, peace, and fullness of joy. All those are true. Oh, and by the way, you're gonna be hated, okay? There's the other part of it. You're gonna go through trials. Storms, big ones. Some of you are going through some right now. How are, how are you holding up in, in your storm? There's um, a debate that is an ongoing debate about um, Christians wanting to get out before the tribulation because you won't, they won't have to suffer. Are you kidding me? They've never read 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, where it says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Can I read it again? Yes, all. You know what that word means in the Greek? All. That means everybody. It means if you're a Christian, you're gonna suffer persecution whether you like it or not. And it needs to be talked about because it's going to happen. But then we read in Peter that this trying of the, of your faith. It's just getting rid of the dross, just like gold when it's purified, it's heated up. That's all that happens. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in the fire, tied up. But guess what? Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll be in that fire with you. The only thing that was singed and burned in that fire were the things that bound Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were walking around, free people. So you can be in the middle of a storm and still have this peace that people look at you and go, how can you handle that? And you go, well, I'm just biting in the vine. I'm just doing what the Lord told me to do. Come on in, sit down. And, and realizing that, the more serious about it, the more serious the consequences like Paul become. All who desire to live godly, you're gonna suffer persecution. That's not an escape pre-rapture verse. That is a verse that's definitive about being a Christian. It's going to happen. Now, and having said that, I promise, even in the trial, that um, you will be satisfied. So closing questions this morning. Are you? Are you happy, camper? Are you content? Are you satisfied? That's a yes or no answer. You can answer, talk to yourself about it. Second question, is Jesus enough? Is he enough in your life? Or are you looking for something else to fill that void? And finally, number three, have you learned, like Paul said in Philippians, have you learned like Paul where he says, I have learned that whatever state I'm in to be content, I know how to be abased, I know how to abound, I know how to be poor, I know how to have money. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But apart from him, what can we do? Not a zip. But in him, uh, he promises that you can do all things. I don't know where you're at this morning.
Maybe um, I, I'm grateful for the books like Ecclesiastes. It's a great book because it just lays it all out. A guy who could do and did do everything and his conclusion is it's all chasing the wind. It's empty. It's not there. So if you don't know the Lord this morning, it's not difficult to do it all. Revelation 3.21, he's knocking at that door. He wants... He says that anybody opens it and comes in, they'll, they'll find what they're looking for, that pasture, and you'll be satisfied. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you as we begin the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's true, Lord, um, this world is not our home. Uh, you've called us out to be salt and light. And we want to be lights, Lord. So we just pray this morning, whatever gifts that you might have given to us, that they'd be stirred up inside of us. But mostly, Lord, we're just thankful because we're content. We don't have to have this or have to have that because we have you. And you do satisfy, Lord. And for that, we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.